notes. And, um, and I want to invite you to, to pull out a pen or something to write with. If you're digital, pull out your iPad and iPencil, whatever you use, um, to jot down some notes and to see how God might speak to you this morning and what you need to write and what you need to remember. So spiritually, we develop as well. So the older people in our community, spiritually older, need the new life of young believers that say things like, I want to be a flower and a fire truck. And you go, hmm, that's not quite right, but it's kind of cute. Um, so, so there's this mutual benefit of that. And growing up spiritually, um, I want to highlight this idea that our internal life, the inner life, is more important than our external life. Our internal unseen life is more important than our external seen life. Both the Bible and all the modern research agree with this idea. That in fact, the internal informs the external. That is, your physical health actually is tied and, is, and flows from your internal spiritual health. We hear a lot about emotional health, mental health, physical health. How much do you hear about spiritual health? Very, very little. Just in general, flipping through headlines and looking through, uh, through things, people rarely seem to talk about spiritual life, but it all flows together. We looked last week this idea that it's not just important that we make disciples, but how we make disciples, that we get clear on what we're talking about that. And, and the, this, this play button that we see all the time on our phones, on our computers, um, maybe old school on your DVD or VCR, if you're really old school, you'll see this little, this little triangle. And it's really a mental picture of what it means to be a disciple. It takes a lot of complex things the Bible talks about, and it breaks it into very th uh, three very clear things. And what I want to highlight this morning is this, that this is a progression. This little triangle is, is, is communicating movement. So let me walk you through it very, very quickly. We looked last week about worship. Uh, the whole thing of being a disciple, a child of God, is it begins with a relationship with God. So worship represents intimacy with God, that we are born again. Everyone's born naturally the first time. We had no say in it. We didn't remember it. It just happened to us. We find ourselves alive. And Jesus comes along and said, what? You must be born again. And so spiritually, we are born. We are awakened. It's actually as dramatic as being spiritually dead and being brought to life. That's how the Bible describes it. So that's, that's step one. But we're not just born again, we're born again into a family. So you see that it moves from worship to community. And community is the idea um, that, that we are, as, as, a, as believers, we are to show up at family functions. So that's what we're doing right now. This is like family meal time. Like we're here. We're here to say we're, we're a part of something bigger than just me and God. And all the one another's in Scripture um, just show over and over and over again that we, we belong to a community, whether we express that or not. One of the main ways we try, to, we try to walk people through that and give avenues for that is community groups. So moving from attending a worship service to joining a community group um, gives, gives fruit to that. So thirdly this morning is that, is that these two things, life with God and life with one another, have a point. 
right? That God didn't just design it for us to be in fellowship with him and have potlucks together and celebrate our fellowship with him and ping pong back and forth between those two. Instead, he says, go and make disciples. Give, be kind, love your enemy. Go seek to to live a life of love that we just sang about. So we're going to look at share this morning because we didn't get to it last week. But here's the basic idea. From a secure place of our identity in Christ... And from this secure place of the love and support of our family, our community, we move outward. We let the blessing of what goes on in our family spill out into every area of our life. As we do that, it's messy and it's hard and people are really mean to us. Mm. So we come back to the family. We get the love and support. We're reminded, of course it's hard. Not everyone's been born again. Everyone's been born, but they're not born again. So so let's remember what we're back. Let's remember who we are, and let's go back out and keep doing what Jesus called us to do. So we begin using our gifts. We're sharing what we have. We're sharing what we know. We're, We're actually sharing who we are with our community. So when you're around Neighborhood Bible Church, this is a good thing, because this is going to show up in your community group questions. Write this down. When we use the word share around Neighborhood Bible Church, we mean two very distinct things. One is evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the message. As Christians, we don't make up truth. We don't make up stuff. We don't really impart our own wisdom. We're just like the paper boy. We just are shouting the good news. Hey, it's not about what you've done. It's about what God's done. That's the message. That's the gospel. So when we say share, we are to share. We're to make disciples by communicating. How on earth are people going to believe in what God did if we don't open our mouth and tell them about who God is? So that's, that's one giant thing. But it moves on to sharing your life. It's not just sharing your message. It's sharing your life. So if evangelism is, hey, church, open your mouth, then sharing your life is this. Open your home. Open your car, open your wallet, open your calendar, open your very life, your emotions up to one another, right? And that's what it is to be a steward of what God has given to you and say, God, how could this spill over and be a blessing to other people? Surely it's not all just meant for me to have and enjoy and savor and just keep thanking you endlessly. So we're going to touch briefly on sharing before we move on to this whole idea of heading. But let me say this, that we violate the design of God when we don't share. We violate the design of God when we don't share. Um, So so for for the good of other people, uh, for the good of our own health, we as Christians share. We give ourselves to sharing. We look for ways to share. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to start this morning. And as you're turning there, two terms that you see regularly in Proverbs, if you read through the Proverbs, you see the idea of the righteous and the wicked. Over and over again, you'll see the righteous and the wicked. And I think regularly what happens is we, we tend to think of that as people being moral or immoral. So doing right stuff and just wrong stuff. But really when you sort of look into the, 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 the few words in Hebrew that are used throughout the Proverbs, there's a strong social justice aspect to the righteous and to the wicked. <clears throat> um, I didn't write the author down, so I apologize, but I'm quoting this now. Um, 
commenting on this, this, this author says this, the righteous, listen carefully to this, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. So here's a new lens. If you're reading through the Proverbs, next time you are reading through the Proverbs, think about the righteous and the wicked, not just as moral or immoral. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing these, these things like sort of internally, but how does this affect the community? And the righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are those who would be willing to, uh, to disadvantage the community in favor. And we just see that. We just know this to be right. You don't have to be a Christian. You have to read the Bible. You're like, yep, that's right. One's good and one's bad. One's noble and, and honorable and one is not. Let me show you a really famous um, illustration. It's a great way to communicate. How do I communicate sort of the gospel in a few short sentences or a, a simple way? This is a really simple way. You could draw this out on a napkin at Starbucks. You could just say this verbally, okay? Uh, but this is called the, 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 the bridge illustration. The bridge illustration basically says this, uh, that there's a gap to God that cannot be crossed by rule-keeping, by effort, by jumping, by creating a little flying machine, whatever. So you imagine El Capitan at, um, at Yosemite Valley and Half Dome across the valley, okay? And, and you look at this gap and you say there's this chasm between us and a holy God, and it can't be crossed by effort or rule keeping. Sin is what creates the chasm. The Bible is really clear that the penalty of sin is death. So, so what is God to do to be in relationship with us? Watch this. A just God cannot ignore evil. And an all-merciful God will not leave people to die on the other granite wall apart from him. So enter Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we see in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, watch this, that he might bring us to God. Man, in that one short verse, it's the gospel. It's the gospel message. Now, the cross not only removes our sin, which is a huge thing, but it also provides a path for sinful people to walk safely to God. That's what the cross provides. So this is the bridge illustration. How many have seen or heard or had explained the bridge illustration to them before? Okay. Really common, really memorable, isn't it? It's an easy, powerful thing to jot down without remembering, you know, 20 verses, and it's very easy to sort of, to sort of pull out. If you're in Ephesians 2, look at verses, verses 8, or just verse 8 with me. Ephesians 2, 8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you see how this overlays on the bridge illustration? It's a gift. It's not effort. No one gets to boast about how amazing they are that they got to God, that they sought after God. It's pure gift. So this is the finished work that we rest in. Here's what's amazing. It's done. This is rooted in history. This will never change. It's a once for all. The guilt and the penalty and the slavery and the filth of our sin is dealt with. 
and I'm now in right relationship with God. The bridge illustration is a fantastic way of describing something theologians call justification. Justification is a once for all time, I was spiritually dead, I was in the dark, I'm now made spiritually alive by God, it's by faith through grace you've been saved, and now I'm alive, and that happens once. We don't need to get saved over and over and over and over again any more than we need to keep getting born because we get tired. We don't need to get born physically again because we mess up. We're born again once. So the bridge illustration is an incredible way to describe justification. Now, um, what in sort of one sentence is the difference between justification and sanctification? Someone tell me, what does sanctification mean? Just basically. That's right. That's it. So, so Christ is actually forming himself in us. So let's put it into really simple terms. It's growing up in God. So we're not just born again and then place an incubator and just, just doing that. Think about those two cliffs for a second. If El Capitan is the sinful side and Half Dome is with God, the bridge of the cross gets us over to God. But once we get to God, we don't just hang out with God and camp out there and go, this is the best thing ever. You know what happens? God, in his great mercy and his great love, actually sends us back into the mess we just came from. He's, he does. He, he launches us back over and says, now there's a job to do. God could have designed it such that as soon as we are born again, maybe like we baptize people and boom, they just go right up to heaven. We're like, boom, there's another one. And he leaves a few people there to baptize or something. I don't know. Could have designed it a lot of different ways. But he leaves it here. We did a whole series one time called um, After Baptism Before Our Funeral. Like, what are we supposed to be doing, right? Like, like great, we're, we, we're, like, we're married to Jesus. Awesome. But we're not dead yet. So every day we're not dead. We have a job to do. Like God's given us something to do here. So the bridge illustration is super famous. This leads us to a much less famous illustration um, because it's made up. It's called the leap illustration. Here it is. Some of you will remember this because we talked about this as we went through Romans. But here's the main idea. We rest in the finished work of Christ. A part of what we're doing every single week here, I hope, let me tell you what we're trying to accomplish is we're trying to set our minds on certain realities that will not change. They're as fixed, they're more fixed than El Capitan, than standing on just one of the most magnificent granite face, you know, faces on the planet, that we come and we rest on this finished good work of Christ. It's apart from works done by us. It's apart from our performance this week. We are free and cleansed from a guilty conscience. And from this solid ground, we take a running leap of faith toward all that God has for us to do. God does not want us just endlessly having summer camp with Him, where it's just me and God. From this solid place, we take a flying leap, and as we do, we're jumping, and as we're mid-air, we're going, wow, this is super exhilarating. And we look down, we go, it's all so terrifying. And we think about it, we go, we're really uncomfortable. <laughs> is this the right thing? I kind of wish I was back standing on solid ground right now. 
We rest in the finished work so that, and here's how this completes, we can strive at the good work. Man, this, this has preached to my own spiritual development week after week for years. I keep coming back to this. Every Monday when I feel like, nailed it! And God's like, yeah, you probably didn't really nail it, Dave. <laughs> Other weeks where I'm like, I need to quit and go do anything besides be a preacher or a pastor because it's not working. I come back time and again to just say, God, I rest in the finished work so that I can strive at the good work, watch this, for all the right reasons. If we invert this and we strive at the good work so that we could finally rest with God, let me tell you, this is a massive trick of Satan. And this is many of the world religions. Strive at the good work so that one day you'll be accepted by God. I mean, a really penetrating question, how much is enough? What about all the bad works? What about all the good works that were just left undone, not because I didn't see them, because I didn't take the time to do it, because I was burned out, because I didn't feel like it? What about the good works I went after that ended up not being that good, ended up hurting people more than helping them? I mean, all kinds of things get really backwards and mixed up. So we have this urgent mission as Christians to make more Christians, to be midwives, as it were, and keep helping people see God, helping people be born again, which, of course, is a work of God. God has good works for us to strive at. So here's, a part, here's another part of what we're doing. We're talking about resting and striving. Every week, I hope there's a restful component to the worship service. I hope there's a striving component. Come as you are and just rest in that. Don't stay that way. Strive at the good work. I hope the, the, the Bible acts as a mirror and there are things we just go, God, thank you. You're doing things. You're accomplishing things in me that look a whole lot more like Christ than they used to. And I hope you see things in your mirror where you're like, eh, that needs to change. Thank you, God, for being so gracious to show me ways I need to grow. I need to change. Um, so we need to get fit and faithful. Go back to Ephesians 2.8 for a second. Let me show you, rest in the finished work is this, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. Rest in this finished work, but rest in that doesn't mean get comfortable and, and set up a house and a kingdom there. Look at the very next verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you see it? Rest in the finished work. Don't boast in it. Don't camp out there. You were, you're to rest in that. It's a gift. But it's been given to you so that you can walk in, so you can strive in the good works. Let me give you a small sampling of passages. Um, and you can jot these down. Sorry, I didn't put these in your notes. Actually, they are. They're in your community group questions. So you don't need to write these down. Just listen carefully to these. 1 Timothy 6 says this. As for the rich in this present age... Um, if, you, if you're able to make it in the Silicon Valley, I would say financially, you're in the upper echelon of the wealthy in the whole world. No matter how you feel, no matter how poor you feel, that's probably a true statement. But we can also be rich in relationship, rich in network, rich in health, rich in ideas, rich in intellect, uh, rich in stuff. I mean, all kinds of ways that we can be rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty 
of riches, but on God. Rest in the finished work. Set your hope on God. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now watch this. They are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to, here's the word, share. We are to be ready to share. That's one. Here's 1 Corinthians 14. Since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel at building up the church. Here's another one, Colossians 1. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this person also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works in me. Let me give you one more. I could go on and on, but I won't. Just one more. We're not to do just a little bit of good works. We're to abound in good works. And I would say this. You ought to track that there, are, there is a growing abundance of good works in your life. None of it as a means of, man, the closer I get to death, I better do more good works. Nonsense. That's crazy talk. You ought to grow because every time you've taken a flying leap off this thing, God's got you. And the further you stretch, the further you fly, the more your community says, man, we're with you in this, the more trust you have in God. Here's 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able, listen to these words, to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is exhilarating to me. This means that there is, God, there must be in 2020 things for me to grow in. There must be new fields for me to walk in. There must be new challenges ahead for me because I'm doing some good work, but I trust you that there's more and that you'll provide what's needed to get there. Ephesians 4, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but it says this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together with every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, watch this, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Super profound to realize God's given this church and the church collectively in the Bay Area and in the world God has provided his church with everything it needs to build itself up. When each part of the body is functioning healthy in a good way, in the way God's designed, the church actually builds itself up and people grow up in every single way. This is stunning. What are the external ways to grow up? Self-discipline, watching your wandering eyes, watching your spending, all the lusts of the flesh, right? All these sort of external sins. What are the internal ways to grow up? Self-righteousness, self-reliance, pride, haughtiness, gossip, apathy, laziness, all these different things that are internal, right? So we're to grow up in every way, and God's given us the means to do it. All right, so this series um, has been about what we're doing here in this neighborhood. 
That's the play button. That's why I put it at the top of your notes this morning, just sort of a, a, a recap, but we also wanted to get to the idea of share. The next two Sundays, today and next Sunday, we're going to look at this idea of heading. Um, and, and what heading is all about is this idea of discussing the direction this church is heading, not as individuals, but collectively. Um, some of you are new-ish here. And this may be the first time you're hearing about this. And, um, and if you're brand new, this is, this is really good to hear this because before you commit in a dating relationship, it's good to find out where the person's heading in life, Right? Before you link up with this person, before you end up in a committed relationship, where's this person going? Now would be a good time to have that conversation. Same is true of a church. If you ever move from here, I would plead with you. Seek things out. Before you form relationships and get emotionally involved with, with relationship, figure out where is that church going. And by definition, that tells you where it's not going and where it's not headed. So if you're new here, this is a great series. If you're, if you're a member here, let me just tell you, you are desperately needed not only to, to understand this, but to really internalize this, to ask questions and find out, I'm not clear on this, or I am clear on this, or whatever, because you are a vital role in making it happen. I want you to know this isn't Dave's vision. Um, this was something that we, as a, as a group of elders, and broader than that, church leaders came together, prayed through, and sought, and we still feel like this is the right uh, direction we're supposed to be going. Proverbs 16.1 says this. <clears throat> In answer to this idea of, yes, we know God's going to build his church. We know that. That's a mission that will not fail. But then churches are given. Remember the, the broad fences that we're given. And then we're given this giant playground to build and play and do things the way we uniquely want to do. So off this metaphor of heading, heading is a nautical term, we said how much should a church be like a powerboat, a speedboat, where they are driving things and steering toward things and, and allowing God to steer that way? Or how much should we be um, waiting for the wind and ready to share, as that scripture said, um, but not forcing it? And so I think these are viable things for churches to go. I have some close buddies. I was just with, uh, spending some time with a friend. They are a speedboat church. I mean, they fire up that thing and they go fast towards things. They're hearing from God. Um, they, are, they are chasing after God. It's totally different than NBC. NBC is much more of a sailboat church where we say, man, we want to get our, our sails up. When that thing catches wind, we want to go. We want to be ready to go. And there are whole seasons where we sit and wait on the Lord and say, God, we, we need to hear from you in a, in a fresh way. So that's what we're trying to answer. Proverbs 16, 1 says this, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Man, or people, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Let me give you a metaphor that we developed when we were going through the book of Romans and looking at what does life in the spirit look like. We use this idea of, of a kite border, right? A kite border is a, is a Christian. Christianity is not for comfort lovers. If you enjoy sitting on your couch safely uh, watching the world, then don't kite board. That's a dumb idea. Um, kite borders require help from the wind, Kiteboarding is a lame sport when it's not windy. Terrible. Um, thirdly, you have no control over the help you receive. You can look for indicators. You can read weather reports. You can talk to other people. You can kind of look on the horizon and see how things are going. But you have no control. And the best weather people on the planet get it wrong much of the time. They're like baseball players, right? They're like, their batting average is, I don't know, it's not that great. 
So the wind comes and goes as it pleases. This is a pretty good picture of those who are trying to walk by the Spirit. Um, Jesus proclaimed this, that um, he says, unless one's born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. The wind is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Why do we not just grow at a regular pace? Because we're not on a conveyor belt. Why do disciples, why is it kind of hard to even plot where people are on the process? Because we're not a factory just cranking out cookie-cutter disciples. That's not how life works. Why is the person sitting next to you hearing from God and in tears, and you're sitting there going, man, I am dry as a desert right now. I'm listening. I see no wind. What's going on? I don't know. There's a mystery to all that. So it is with everyone born of a spirit. But this wasn't quite right. We looked at this as a church. A church is a gathered fellowship of those who are controlled by the Spirit. And I think for the better part of a year, I showed this slide a couple of times, this idea that we're together in God. And then I corrected it because it wasn't quite right. The local gathered church links their lives to one another in such a way that this is a far more profound picture of the local church. It's not just that we're seeking God individually. We are seeking God as a community. Does someone still leave the sailboat? Are we all responsible for our own? Yes, all of that. But joining a church is going on a journey together. And isn't it true that the way that one part of this community acts behaves, for better or for worse, affects other parts of the community? Absolutely it does. So we're actually linked in a way much more like a sailboat seeking God together. Here's here's what's really profound about that. A person on a kiteboard can't make it from here to Hawaii. A sailboat? They can. Totally. The amount of storm that an individual or even a group of individuals all trying to do it together on their kite boards, they can't survive nearly as well the size of swell and the size of wind and the size of whatever that could come with a, with a sailboat pulling together. There are things we can do together, church, as we are all seeking God individually, but as we are waiting for the wind collectively as a church, we can go further, faster, and make a bigger impact than we can as if we come in these doors as individual kite boarders, all hearing from God, seeking God, thanking God, doing our own little thing. I'm convinced God wants to take a new, fresh wave of us being together and what that looks like to make an impact in this neighborhood. The wind is still sufficient. The Holy Spirit is still present. The very one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us. You know what we have not been about for 13 years? And if you see this, raise your hand and say, hey, I thought we weren't about that. Here's what we're not about. We are not about our own power. Our own power in a sailboat looks like this. My dad used to drive, uh, fly, sail, that's the word, um, sail this little um, El Toro sailboat. And we'd be out there with him. And, and the lamest thing in the world would be to take that rudder and go back and forth like this. You know how fast, we, here's how fast we go when you do that. How long can I keep up this pace? Not long. We are not about doing church on our own power, just going, we gotta be doing something. Let's go do something. We see from the book of Acts 
Instead of, don't just sit there, do something, we say, don't just do something, sit there until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't you dare go out and do this in the flesh. There have been seasons as a uh, energetic, forward-moving self-initiator where the best thing I've done for our church is sit there. I'm going for three days at the end of this month to a prayer summit in Yuba City. You know what I'm going to do for three days? Sit there. I'm just going to pray with other pastors from Northern California. We hosted this a few years ago. It was life-altering for, for Ben and I. So we are to sit there, have our sails up, say, God, I'm looking. Just send me a flap. Other times, the wind's going. All right, I'm not moving quick enough. Let me keep going. Let me get really specific about heading. Some of you have seen this and know this, so this will be a review. For those of you, this might be um, new. But heading is a nautical term, right? It's setting a direction. Um, here's what it implies. It implies clear direction. And the idea that we're going in one direction presupposes we are not going in all of these other directions. So setting a clear direction um, is a part of what this is about. Here's the second thing. The goal is to actually get somewhere. I've never been on one, but a lot of cruises, yes, they go somewhere, but they actually spend a day or two like doing circles out in the middle of the ocean. So people can just kind of hang out, eat, work out, eat some more, <laughs> buy some junk, see some cool stuff, eat, swim, eat, sleep. And then it's the next day, whatever. That's okay. Cruises are what they are. They're entertaining you. We're going somewhere. We don't want to be a church that just endlessly does that on a spiritual level, where we just kind of do a bunch of spiritual stuff. Here's another one, is that we, um, we understand that setting the heading, saying it, identifying it, saying, we're going in this direction, is only the first step. It's an important first step, but it's just the first step. You know what needs to happen after that? Action, follow-up, hard work, actually going somewhere. Tracking and plotting progress. Are we on course? Reviewing those kinds of things. Here's another thing that heading speaks to for us. Is that we anticipate we will get blown off course. We anticipate there will be currents moving us slowly around. If we don't have clear markers of where are we even, we could find ourselves in a totally different direction. So just course correction. We regularly need course correction. This comes from the community. Finally, this, tools like a compass, so we could take uh, numbers like a heading degree. So, so tools and numbers are important, but not the end goal. What's the end goal? That we're getting to where we're going. Here's how that translates to a church. <clears throat> we want to be faithful and mature in Christ. We want to present every person complete in Christ. We want to strive for, for making disciples. We want to strive to form God in one another, not just Bible knowledge, vision statements, attendance numbers. We can get so hung up on the tools and talking about the vision that we don't actually go anywhere and make progress. So we want to celebrate what that is. Here's what heading is in one minute, okay? We use three words. We talk about this, by the way, all the time as a staff, all the time as a pastor-director group, all the time as community group leaders, and all the time as elders. I want to publicly confess I have not personally structured enough time talking to this group in this setting about heading. This is what has been driving the church you've been attending for years. 
I'm committed to keeping our vision in front of us and talking about it even when I'm sick of talking about it. But we talk about this all the time. Simple means this, that we're aligned and accessible. The idea that we say no to many things so that we can say yes to the right ones. The idea behind family is this. We are going to really live like spiritual brothers and sisters, like the family of God. But we're not just going to live it. We're also going to lift it. What that means is this. If there is, if there is competing values, competing resources, um, we are going to keep coming back to being fiercely for the family. Families within our church that are struggling, celebrate those that are doing great, work with those who are on the brink of exploding, and ministering to those who've had shrapnel go off in their family, and, and to welcome them in and say, how can we keep loving each other? How can God reform this into something good for you? We are going to be fiercely for the families. A whole giant part of Foster Bay, which is what we'll talk about next Sunday, is that we are reaching out and saying, we, we want to be fiercely for the families in our community that are struggling, and do what we can to be a part of that. Finally is gifts. We believe that all Christians have gifts, and we will function and structure our church to, to encourage all members to use their gifts. It's super easy to say that. There's not a New Testament church I can think of in our area that doesn't agree with that. But it's really easy in the name of expediency to just let the paid professionals get it. Look, you guys have time to do it. You guys went to some conference. You guys go love the poor. I'm not doing that. That's what I'm paying you for. Nonsense. <laughs> Some of you are great at making money. You are devoted to that. You are funding incredible things. Keep doing that. Keep being generous. That is a major part of what makes this place tick. But we are not just the paid professionals saying, you know what, let's just, let's just handle it. We are, we are committed to saying, man, the church is in the hands of regular ordinary Christians because there are no regular ordinary Christians. Like it's the priesthood of all believers. So, that's that. Um, let me move quickly through these. Here's simple. Simple is unique because it touches the other things. It actually touches everything we do as a church and everything we don't do as a church. Simple is unlike the other two because it's hard to sort of hold it, but it's a lens through which we look through. It's a mindset that we nurture around the church. It's probably the easiest one to get off course. Churches over time get more complex and more cluttered. When we reach out, we're a church that's about welcoming people into, into here. Every time you add a new person here, that changes the dynamic. It changes the network. It, it adds messiness. So it's easy to get more and more and more bloated and complex. So this one's really easy to get off course. Write down a couple of words of what we mean by simple. Number one is this, the word accessible. A part of simple is this. Simple is not simplistic. The Bible's a big book, is it not? Being an individual is really complex sometimes. So simple is not simplistic, which brings God down to our level. We don't speak in kindergarten language at all times. That's not what simple's about. Um, so so simple is not about being simplistic. It's not about easy. It's trying to be Jesus-like. Let me show you why Jesus was simple or, or how he was accessible. Jesus and his message were easily in reach of the elite intellectuals and power brokers of the day and easily within reach with the nobodies of the day. Don't we see that in the Gospels? He takes the cookie jar, he puts it on the low shelf and somehow is able to make it accessible to, to everyone. He had to fight to keep it this way. Let the little children come to me, he said. 
He, he bucked the trend of a lot of rabbis of the day. This goes hand in hand with our value of not just making things truthful, but making things helpful. Think about Jesus for a moment. Teaching can be impressive. It can be awe-inspiring. It can be deep. It can be profound. It can be entertaining. It can be thorough, all without being helpful. Jesus, when he taught, made sure his message was within reach. Imagine having all knowledge and figuring out what to distill to say, what would be helpful? What would be graceful to this person? What's the need of the moment? It's hard work to simplify. It's easy to read nine commentaries come at you and just blitz tons of information. You'd go, wow, Dave studied hard this week. Woohoo! Jesus made things accessible. He chose not to impress us, but to lead us, to grow us. He used common language. He used everyday examples. He used stories that stick, and we want to do the same. That's accessible. Simple also means uncluttered. Um, Jesus sent his disciples with very few supplies. He sent them basically with one another and the Holy Spirit. Go and do ministry this way. We don't see time in the Gospels where Jesus is fretting over the fog machine at the worship service, right? Like he's not about that. A key word with simple is just being streamlined, eliminating good to get at what's great. Hebrews 12.1 says this, throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. Here's a question for us as a church. Could it be that much of what needs to go isn't morally wrong, it's just unwise? We can't do it all, so we make decisions. We can't please everyone, so we figure it out. We care about this much, we can handle collectively as a church this much. So the space between what we care about and what we can handle is called prioritizing, reevaluating, saying, God, how do you want us to use our resources um, today? Here's the third one. The third one is aligned. Simple means aligned. Um, we had a profound thing happen one time in children's ministry. We were trying to say, how can we reach out to more kids? There's lots of kids who've never tasted a crumb of God's grace. Let's create a new event. Let's do a movie thing. Let's do a summer thing on the lawn. Let's do these different things. And what we realized was, man, if we could align our efforts to something we are already doing, we were doing a monthly welcome lunch at the time. What if once a quarter we took that welcome lunch and said, we're already doing a big lunch in front of the church? Let's not recreate that. Let's just be really intentional to once a quarter make that a huge outreach and make it really kid-friendly. Let's invest in a jumpy house on that Sunday. Not because my kids need a jumpy house, although they do, but because it would be a blessing to others. Man, let's, let's figure out pony rides. Let's do something. What's just fun? What's fun for kids to come do? Let's use church budget to just do something fun. We have a fun and generous God. Let's communicate that. Do you see the alignment piece? That's alignment. Jesus set his face like flint. You know what Jesus doesn't do? He's not frantically putting all his awesomeness on everyone everywhere all the time. He left things undone. Whole towns that he just moved on from. Why? Because he was aligned. He was the most aligned life ever. What a contrast to some of us where like when the spirit hits us, we're like, we got to be just awesome to everyone. And then we just drive everyone around us crazy. We violate the rhythm of God. We burn out. We get ticked because no one wrote us a single thank you note, and it turns into a big nightmare. Man, we have so much to learn from Jesus. Um, so here's a question for you. How can worship and community and share occur in things you're already doing? Ben uses disc golf. He's already going to play disc golf. 
He's been using disc golf to build relationship, to invite other, he's done this for a long time, to invite other people to come do disc golf with him. Do something you're already doing. You already have to go shopping. You want to connect with a new friend at church, invite them along. To go shopping, yes. If you want to hang out with me, I've got some priorities. You might hang out with me while I'm helping my kid do homework at a park. It's called multitasking. It's called doing something I'm already doing. Come hang out with me. So it's just figuring out, like, what am I already doing? And I can invite that into it. All right. Simple keeps us focused on families is, is one of the things. Truly living as a family and seriously committed to the families of our city. So here's what family is. Your family, for better or for worse, is God's first and best classroom for teaching you and growing you up. Think about the things you learned in your household or are currently learning in your household or are trying to teach in your household. You're learning about selfishness and love, fighting and sharing, disappointment and justice. You know what? None of you ever taught your kids how to be selfish, how to take revenge, how to run away from problems. You don't have to teach your kids to do that. You might model those things for your kids, but you're not trying to teach them that. That's there. You do have to teach them how to disagree with their family members without insulting their family members. You do have to teach about abuse and violating others. You do have to teach what it means to speak the truth in love. You do have to learn about what it means to overlook an offense and have love cover a multitude of sins. Isn't it true that you're trying to figure this out as the teacher while you're teaching others? Yeah. So God is parenting us as we parent our kids. Here's a vision for our church. A vision for our church is this. We take all that we're learning here as the household of God. We take all that's best here and we go, you know what, I'm learning this really well from some others. And we bring that into our home living situation. To our roommates, to our spouses, to our kids, to our grandkids, to whatever's the, the sphere of influence you have. And you take what God is teaching you in your home and the vision and direction and the growth and the things that you're overcoming, and you bring that to your church. Now, I know I can tend to be idealistic. In an ideal world, that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. You know why? Because all the junk stays apart from that. But what happens is we bring our best, and our junk comes with us. <laughs> so it can get kind of messy. So we have to sift through that. Man, the, the family's under attack. Not just the idea of family, but the execution of family. Think about the first... Uh, sermon in this series, that the design of the church is perfect. The execution will always be flawed. So when there's flawed execution of a perfect design, don't bail on the design. Don't set a new benchmark for what things are because that's why everyone's acting. We lean back into the perfect design. God has designed the family perfectly. If it's not working, lean back in to the perfect design. Don't set new benchmarks for normal. Ephesians 2, 19 says this, you're no longer strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints, watch this, and members of the household of God. You don't have to hear me say that you belong, you don't have to feel like you belong, you don't have to go to a class to belong, you don't have to fill out a card to belong, you belong, like that's from God, so you just receive that. I've never not felt welcome at church, ever. I don't know why. I was shocked to learn early as a pastor, some people, many people struggle with whether they're welcome or not. So you know what I say on a regular basis? 
I say to people, you're welcome to come to our church. I think it might be good for under our sign, we put the words public welcome. Golf courses are private or they're public. Under a public golf course, it says public welcome. It means no appointment necessary, no experience necessary. Show up! So hear me, if you're a Christian, you belong to the household of God. If you're not yet a Christian, we exist so you can be brought into a relationship or at least have a safe place to discover what God's all about. 1 Timothy 3.14, just jot that down. I don't think it's in your notes. 1 Timothy 3.14 and 15, then close your eyes if you're distractible and listen carefully, and then I'm going to have to move on. He says this, Paul writing to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Here's a powerful thing I want to equip you with. We can know how we ought to behave in the family of God because he's revealed it to us. Our spirit agrees with his spirit when we read, be kind and tenderhearted with one another. We go, yes, we know that's the right thing. Gosh, God, I'm abrasive and abrupt, and I'm clueless to other people's feelings. I need to do this. I need to behave the way we know we should behave in the household of God. The last one, which I'm going to just bump into next week. Let me have the band come on up, is gifts. The idea here is that just all people would use their gifts. Look at this picture for a second. A picture of many churches in the Western world is this. Imagine a church where all the members on board the, the, the boat are not working equally. Imagine that the vast majority of them, 80% or more, are just wearing those derpy life vests, sitting there watching all the frantic activity of the six crew members. They're awed and they're impressed. Early on, they clap. They go, you go, you go. You're doing it awesome. I don't even know what that is. I heard the word rigging. That's kind of cool. How fun. What an exciting journey. Pretty soon, the people with life vests get, get bored. They get irritable. They get ticked off that it's bouncy and windy, sick of the wind. They're annoyed that they're not being served little tropical drinks with umbrellas in them. And if they do get served those, they're ticked that salt water splashed into them. You know who else gets ticked? The six people doing the boat stuff. Man, this, like what kind of journey would this be? It'd be a nightmare. You'd be like, get me off the sailboat. I don't want to go near sailboats anymore. This is not a picture of how the church is supposed to be. There's all kind. We'll, we'll talk next week a little bit about where, where does, where does the, 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 the fault of that lay? How do we correct that? Let me tell you as your pastor, one of your pastors, I am thrilled to be a part of Neighborhood Bible Church. It has been the great joy and delight of my life to be serving here we are not this kind of boat. We just aren't. We can dip towards it. We can start veering towards it. But that's not the kind of church you're sitting in right now. I've framed these in sort of three different ways. And that, and that is um, for some of you who aren't used to being, we're staying with the ocean metaphor at the beach, then toe dip sounds kind of scary. So here's a, here's a toe dip kind of a thing for you. Um, number one is this. To disadvantage yourself each day for the advantage of the community. If you were to just change a prayer and say in the morning, God, I want to in some small, medium, or large way, 
I just want to begin looking at this. It's really just living the life of a servant. Now, here's part B of this. Part B of this is talk to no one about it except God. Let it just be an act of worship. Don't come home and even tell your, your, your spouse, your kids, your friend, your roommate. Just do this as an act of worship. What I'm convinced will happen is God will continue to open your eyes to needs that are all around you. So that's a toe dip. Here's, a, here's one thing that you can be involved in. Um, we partner with a couple of organizations. We don't partner with every organization out there, and one of them is Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ. We have the director of Love, Inc. that sits in our church service every, uh, every week. Rich, would you just raise your hand? Um, <clears throat> here's something that, that they've been doing. Um, that is an organization. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have an entire Sunday about Love, Inc. It is a giant freeway of saying, I want to share. I have time and talent and, and things I can do. I wish I knew of some, some needs in my community. That's what Love, Inc. provides. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a whole Sunday about that. It's a giant vehicle for, for, for being able to step into this idea of sharing. But something coming up even tonight is the first of three interest meetings they have around this idea of a nine-month-long program of, of budget mentoring. Many, many people are enslaved to debt in this valley. And here's something you can do. You can disadvantage yourself of time to become a budget mentor and to serve at this ministry. As a church, we disadvantage ourselves of some money to help fund people and do a matching program and giving to loving to say, we want to actually tangibly help you out of this. Some of you may need budget mentoring, and the first step might be to humble yourself and go and attend this. That's the toe dip. Here's number two. This is treading water. Avail your time and talent to the crew at NBC. Something that sits in your seat back every single week is a little card that says, put me in, coach. Put me in, coach, is raising your hand and saying, I want to get involved. I want to do stuff. Where do you need help? And that will begin a conversation um, with, with, with us as a, as a team and say, fantastic, let's figure out what that looks like. Number three is scuba diving. Scuba diving is going sort of a deep dive. And here's what I would say with that. Own an area of need in or around NBC. You may say, man, this church stinks at doing this. You know why? Maybe because you haven't raised your hand and said, hey, I noticed that we stink at doing this, and I want to roll up my sleeves and get us better at it. Don't assume that everything we do right now is, is, is the way we want to be doing it. We have room for improvement at every area of our entire church. We're well aware of that. So don't sit here and go, well, I guess that's how they do things here. Nonsense. Step forward and move from we need servants and we need servants who graduate to servant leadership. You don't climb up the corporate ladder in Jesus' world. You climb down and you get lower and you serve more people. So leadership here means get low and support even more people. But you owning an area, we have a lot of people that will jump in and be motivated and energetic. We have, we have, we have precious few leaders who say, I will, I will lose sleep over that. I love it when our leaders lose sleep. You know why? It means I'm not losing sleep for that area of ministry. And in areas that I'm not gifted in, I don't even see, I'm not, I, I, I have other people, we have other people who are, who are doing that. <clears throat> We're going to close with a song 
Um, and we don't talk about this a ton, but it's actually a really beautiful picture of people in our community using their gifts. It's easy to overlook what we see every single week. By the way, I love seeing all the name tags. So good. Brian Jackson comes in. He's like, I got my name tag. And I'm like, yikes, I don't have my name tag yet. They will tar and feather me if I go up there this Sunday with no name tag. So I got my name tag on. Ben and Rob wrote this last song that we're going to do, and the artists in a community using their gifts to serve their community is a great thing. I so appreciate the talent behind the scenes, off stage and on stage, and the hearts that accompany them. So we're going we're gonna to dismiss to a song that is dismissing us out into our mission field, um, written by our very own uh, Rob and Ben. So why don't you stand up, um, let's sing this together, and... We will be back next week meeting to celebrate God.